The next big idea. It becomes a question of really what is out there that we need to be aware of. What is out there that is so big that could affect everything? What is it that we must grab hold of and translate into action? That's the question. And as this topic came up and as I thought about it, that was my question. What is it? And I think I have it. The next big idea. It's the church. And of course, you're saying the church. Well, that's a worn out idea. That's an old idea. In fact, some would say that it's like a lifeboat that's been capsized, and because of tsunami type waves that are rushing in upon it, people are hanging on to it and barely surviving. The next big idea in fact, one person has said that we need to realize that the church is in retreat. It has been for a long, long time, and therefore, let's move. If we're going to talk about the poor and about the social ills, let's move to parachurch, to social agencies, to those things that really can address those issues. But I want to say, and I want to affirm, that the news is that the church is not worn out, and the church is not capsized. In fact, it's much bigger than we think. It's much more diverse than we might imagine. It is more dynamic and vibrant than any of us would really know. If this wall here, David Garland, was a screen that we may need here at Truett, and the whole wall was covered with a screen, and we hooked it up to Google Earth, and we were to Google the church on this screen, I think the first image would come up would be a small cinder block structure on the side of a road in Africa. As we look at that structure, there's people in brightly colored uh, dresses, and they're singing exuberantly. Their hands are up. They're dancing in the aisles. They're talking about spirits and about structures. And if we were to zoom out from that image in the villages around, in the province, in the whole of the state, in the country, the whole of Africa would be structures just like that. Brightly shining like lights all throughout Africa. The church is much bigger than we can imagine. Or if we were to click and go to the next image, it would be a large field in South India. And in this field, there's thousands upon thousands of people filling the horizon as far as you can see. And there's a sermon blaring over a loudspeaker. And here and there, we see clumps of people and they're baptizing women and children. And if we pull back from that image, we see these people like streams going into villages and into homes and into families, and with them goes this newfound faith. The church is much bigger than we think. Or if we Google yet another image, we see a Sunday morning in Castro's Cuba, and we see an old traditional church, probably left over from the colonial era, And it's hot, extremely hot, because it's hot outside, but because people are just pressed in on each other and sweating on each other. And they're packed in the pews, and they're in the aisles, and they're hanging from the windows, they're sitting on the stage, they're everywhere. And if we pull back from that image and we pull into the week to come, we see them distributing food and we see them doing medical clinics. We see them doing farming cooperatives. We see them in the community. The church is the next big idea. It's alive and it's well. 
the big provocative idea is the church. And you may be saying, well, this is the church, but it's not my church. But brothers and sisters, it's the church. It may not be where it used to be, and it may not be what it was, but it's the church. It's moved, and it's morphed, and it's the church. I believe God's purposes is like a river, not a placid, controlled stream. It's like a river that is flooding and it's swollen, and it's come over its banks, and it's going into places and cutting new avenues, and going to places it's never been before. It's moved through Europe and America, and now it's gone on beyond those places into other parts of the world. Upstream, it may appear very calm and tranquil, but downstream, it's a raging, roaring rapid. It's the church. It may be receding in some of the places it's been before, like Chicago, London, Paris, but it's rising in Sao Paulo, in Lagos, in Nigeria, in Beijing. This moving and morphing church has been documented by many scholars. Andrew Walls, La Mansana, David Barrett, Todd Johnston, Dana Robert, Philip Jenkins, and others. And they are all saying, they are saying that they're hailing that this is a new phenomenon. Comparing it to maybe the the conversion of Constantine in the 4th century. Or the Reformation in the 16th century. They hear something new on our horizon, but the common refrain among all these scholars is that we must look again at the church. And to realize that it's not what it once was. And that we need to redraw our ecclesiastical maps and understand what the church is today as it is. They're telling us several things. They're first telling us that the church is much bigger than we think. David Barrett and Todd Johnstone, editors of the World Christian Encyclopedia, point out that between 1900 and 2000, there was a 1.4 million net increase in Christianity worldwide. Wonderful. If we look closer, we look into those statistics, and we realize that by 1900, 81% of the Christian population in the world was white, European, and American. We fast forward to the year 2000, and that percentage, 81%, has dropped to 40%. So 60% of world Christianity is in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Barrett's assessment is that the demographic center of Christianity has shifted to the south. Lamansana of Yale University, he exclaims, the church is bursting at its seams with the interrupted, uninterrupted influx of new members. Bursting at its seams, maybe not in the same places that it's burst before, maybe in Africa, in Korea, in China. In Africa, from 1900 to 2000, the church grew from 10 million in population to over 360 million in population. As far as the total population of the country, it moved from 10% to 46% of the African continent. One African scholar estimates that Africans are turning to Christ at the rate of 23,000 
a day. The same scholar points out that the church in America and Europe is decreasing by 6,000 members a day. Everyone knows the story about what's going on in China, how it's exploding. Philip Jenkins points out that there's more Christians in China today than in France or in Britain. In Korea, 1920, there were about 300,000 Christians, and by the year 2000, that number had grown to 12 million, or a quarter of the national population. Twice as many Presbyterians in Korea than there are in the United States. David Barrett and Todd Johnstone, they create an annual statistical report of the state of Christianity in the world. In January 2008, in order to illustrate in more of a vivid manner where Christianity is moving, they try to show that this is, this is the net increase of Christianity per day. Per day. And they say that there's 77,000 people coming into the church every day. 70,000 of the 77,000 come from Africa, Latin America, and Asia, 91%. The church is much bigger than you think. In fact, it's bursting at the seams, but maybe not the same places that it used to be bursting at the seams. Secondly, they tell us that the church is much more diverse than we think. The shift is more than just a numerical or geographical shift. Andrew Walls of the University of Edinburgh A historian says there's been a a seismic shift within Christianity. Dana Robert of Boston University kind of nuances that and says that it's, it's a shift in identity that we're seeing in Christianity. How the church looks, how it sounds, how it acts is changing. Sociologist Paul Freeston, he says that for the first time since the 7th century, the majority of Christians are not of European origin. In fact, the typical Christian today would be poor, female, and African. Worship. The majority of Christians in the world are not worshiping in English, but in Spanish, Mandarin, and Portuguese. The largest churches are not in Dallas, L.A., or Atlanta, but in Lagos, in Nigeria, and Korea. And yet, isn't this what Christianity did from the beginning, morphing from place to place, moving from Jewish to Roman to Greek to Russian to Germanic, moving on and changing, translating into each language? Lamansana says that it's more than just language that it's translating into, but the translatability of the core of the faith of the gospel has been its fuel for its expansion through all these years. So what we're seeing today is once again Christianity not being a foreign import into foreign lands, but it's coming up from the soil and becoming a local way rather than a foreign way. Dana Robert has made the astute comment that really Christianity no longer is the world's largest religion. It's the world's ultimate local religion. As it finds a place in all these different cultures and languages, and then flourishes in that, it finds strength and is able to morph and change. So the church is much more diverse than we ever imagined. Third, they're telling us also the church is more dynamic and vibrant than we think. 
The gospel no longer traffics in one direction, but in every direction. From west to east, north to south, south to north, south to west, east and west. And therefore, it's in all directions, from many centers, going from Recife to New Delhi, from Seoul to Kazakhstan, from Ghana to New York. Andrew Wall says that missions today has become the gospel going from everywhere to everywhere. It's undone, and it's spreading. And rather than being like something that we pass on, it's like a virus that's just spreading on its own, and it's vibrant. Today, 49% of those who are in the the global mission force come from non-Western countries. And really, mission has become, migration has become the new mission. As people, through war and famine, are being pushed out of their countries, they're carrying the gospel with them. Not calling themselves missionaries, but just gospel bearers. And as they're taking employment in the service industries, whether it's in Iraq or it's in the, uh, the Gulf states, they're carrying the gospel with them. They're not going with their crates full of goods. They're not going with insurance or a mission salary. They're just going and carrying the gospel with them. Well, all that excites me. We can take heart that the church, no matter what we might experience, what we know of the church, the church is big, it's diverse, and it's growing. And yet some of us, maybe many of us, while interested interested in this, we would say it has really little to do with us. We say, so what? What has New Delhi to do with New York? What has Lima to do with Lubbock? What has Dar es Salaam to do with Dallas? And so we hear this, we pass it off, we say, what a quaint phenomenon. But I believe this has everything to do with us. And I would be so bold, I am convinced to say that the next big ideal will come from the majority world church. We may talk about poverty, but they know poverty. We may live in a society that's becoming more pluralistic, but they are the society that knows what it means to live next to those that are different than themselves. They have no choice but to swim in the stream of their culture. And quite possibly, rather than talking about these people, we need to be talking with these people. And quite possibly, rather than just praying for these people, we need to be praying with these people. And rather than preaching to them, we need to be listening to them. A part of redrawing the ecclesiastical map is that we need to redefine, redraw the map of what it means to be the North American church. And we need those beyond our borders to step into our house and to live with us in order that we might know what it means to live faith in a different way, that we might see faith lived out in a different way. And just as there's been a shift in Christianity, there needs to be a shift in the church. And we may talk about it from within, and we may gin it up within in terms of our language or our emphasis or our programs, but we need help, folks. And quite possibly the help is not the latest book that's coming out. We need to connect with the church. 
And connecting with that church, we learn maybe what it means to be church. There's several mind shifts that need to go on. Historically, the map of Christianity has been like this, and I don't want to offend. These are generalizations, maybe sweeping in some ways, but in some ways these are true generalizations. I think in the past the mindset of the church has been church as Christendom. Christendom was that alliance between state and church, and as state set the boundaries of what it meant to be a part of the kingdom, so was the church. And so the church became territorial in its understanding of this is who we are, and this is out there is not who we are. And therefore the boundaries were drawn, and Christianity was within, and outside was just paganism, heathenism. Well, Christendom is dying, isn't it? It's gasping its last breath, but it's not dead. I think in many ways it's been reduced down from nation and territory, from the broad political and social sphere to the local church. And therefore, everything in my church is right and everything beyond my church is flawed, wrong, and maybe even evil. Church language, its activity, the code of conduct does more than just define us as being different, but it defines us over against the world. High walls, both mentally and physically, separate us from the world and been constructed in order to keep the world out. And so Christendom ends at our pavement, as we move off our church property. And so we see ourselves butting up against, fighting against, revolting against the world. And so this siege mentality of Christendom gives my church permission to view its form of worship, polity, theology, and programs as the norm for the world. Therefore, Reports of a vibrant, growing church in Ghana can be ignored and even dismissed. Because, as we know, that's just syncretistic. That's aberrant. That's flawed. And what's happening there is far, far, far from the center of Christianity. And really is a threat to the center. So when church is Christendom... We can teach our children to protect themselves from false Christianity. The tendencies we find in Africa and Asia. And therefore children in a cinder block building somewhere on a road in Africa really have nothing to do with our children. Church as Christendom. Or another mindset is church as colony. The intent is that we have a colony, and therefore we colonize. The intent is to plant outposts of Western churches in the wilderness of Africa, South America, and Asia. Church as colony is really just church as Christendom with a missionary program. So the motivation is to replicate ourselves, to extend ourselves, and in some ways to reinforce who we are and to supply our image of ourselves. This ecclesiocentric view tells us that Christianity should be radiating out from and then returning in order to build and reaffirm the center. The aim really becomes our discipleship, our growth and development, our sense of purpose or mission. So in a subtle way, our involvement with the church in India is really about completing who we are, strengthening 
who we are as the church. So, when church is colony, we will encourage our children to reach out, or really to reach down, to those less fortunate in India, to pity them, and maybe even do a two-week mission adventure among them, and then return safe, sound, and secure in who they are. Thirdly, is church is corporation. This 20th century mindset is built upon a franchising model of McDonald's and Starbucks. The aim is the effective branding of our particular church and then marketing that brand around the world. Our theology, our polity, our morality, our politics. So rather than seeing gospel and faith as a virus that spreads, it's sort of a branded, copyrighted, intellectual property that we will download across languages and cultures, tribes, and national identities in order that it might be received and therefore the real gospel is there. When church is corporation, we will train and mobilize our children to represent and franchise a particular brand of religion in Cuba over against that less effective pre-modern form of Christianity which exists there now. I maintain that all three of these are not tolerable. All three of these will not do in the 21st century. We confess that the gospel is translatable, that it has no borders, but we act as if it must be found in the center and radiate from the center. We sing, in Christ there is no east or west, but then we want him to be only in the north. But something's working inside of us, working against this. And it's the idea that the center must be reinforced, that it must be maintained, it must be established over and over and over. Eric referred us to Paul Hebert's model of bound sets and centered set. And surely we want to move to center set. That's where we all want to be, that we have something at the center and Christ is at the center. He pulls us in. But I'm afraid that maybe we've made church, the Western church, our form of church as the center. And we will confess Christ. We will have Christ in the middle of that. But really at the center is the church. For us to be the church of the 21st century, for us to truly be externally focused, for us to be involved in the world, I would maintain that we need to move to another mindset, and that is church as cruciform. The church that is formed by the cross, the, the church that finds itself living toward the cross and giving itself away as Christ did on the cross. The church's response must be more than just benevolence, or partnership. It must be more than just pity or correcting others. But the church must give its life to the burdens, the cares, the aspirations, to the witness of brothers and sisters in India, Cuba, and China. The problem of AIDS and human trafficking and drought and disease and poverty are not their problems. They're our problems. And for us to talk at them about their problems and not to enter into their problems is hypocrisy. We move from benevolence to brother and sisterhood, from security to risk, from our rights to what is right. We move from our own camp 
and we bear the disgrace of brothers and sisters who are suffering. We move from being those who know it all and who can give it all to people who know how to receive and who know how to listen. If we are to be the church, if the church is to be the church in the world, it must die to its building of a kingdom. It must die to the notion that it is the center or the source of all that's good and all that's right. It must die to the propagation of its brand of faith and church and become externally focused to the point of risking and sacrificing self. We can dress this up in words, and we can talk about theories, but it really does come down to this. Are we willing to live in such a way that we live giving life, we live in solidarity and love with others, not just toward others? Jesus talked about it. He says you've got to lose your life to gain it. I think we have to lose our churches if we're to gain church. And he said that unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it's going to remain alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. I grew up thinking that was sort of a spatial thing. That as God sent Jesus from heaven to earth, he sends Mike from Dallas to Sri Lanka. Now from here to there, but I don't think it means that at all. I think it means that in the same way, in the same purpose, in the same mode, in the same mindset, he now sends the church, he sends us to die. And to live out a dying life in order that we might then be seen as people that live toward others and with others. Easily said, isn't it? Very hard to do. And where is the point of action that we might move toward a different mindset of church. And I don't know. I grapple with this. So I've created a word. You won't find it in the dictionary. But transmergence. Trans. Spanning across, going beyond the narrow interest, interest and crossing over toward the other, mergence, being brought together, integrating, submerged with others. My definition of transmergence is is crossing over to another who is radically different in a way that is transformational for both parties. To act is an act of the will and my imagination, which will result in change and acts toward the other. Therefore, the transmergent church exists along others, transforming others, being transformed by others, crossing over, living in empathy, and returning change by the other. There's a river raging, and it's not just in the front of the church. It runs in and through the people of God scattered all over the globe, And we live encamped on the shores of that river, many of us oblivious that there's a river flowing through Ghana and through Indonesia and through China. We might think that we are the source of the river, that we set the river's speed and its direction, but we don't. 
Or we may think that we can actually change the river. Or some of us have gone and we've taken pictures of the river. We say, here, I've been there, I've seen that. When church is cruciform, my children and my grandchildren will see me quit the safety of the shore and jump with radical abandonment into the river, submerged. And it doesn't become just a matter of being able to describe philosophically, academically, but it becomes existential as I participate then in this great movement of God in our world. The church is alive. And will we participate in it in such a way that it gives life to us? We are called to this kind of activity, this kind of mindset, this kind of movement. The next big provocative idea... I think at the outset of the 21st century is that the church is much bigger, it's more diverse and dynamic than we can ever imagine. Don't ignore her, please. The next big provocative hope for all of us in this room is that we become transmergent and that we find ourselves moving toward, you know, that we might be changed by the other. In your mind, not on the wall, There's another image. There's followers and devotees of Jesus Christ sitting in a circle, each with distinctive language, culture, and church tradition. And in the circle, there's slaves, there's free persons, there's rich, there's poor, there's communists, and there's capitalists. There's victims of AID and malaria and TB. There's victims of obesity heart disease, and diabetes. There's black and white, Asian and African, Mexican and American. Everyone is listening and responding across the circle. All are submerged in the community of faith, worshiping, singing, praying, serving together. A transmergent community, being the church for each other, to each other, learning with each other, transforming each other, and being transformed. At the center of the circle, of course, is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross. We are to consider him and not to lose hope. Idealistic? You betcha. A dream? Yeah. But it's that hope that we're moving toward. Let's not lose hope of the church and her purpose in the world. 